0: Blood Talk Radio
1: It's time to strap our boots on This is a perfect day to die Wipe the blood out of our eyes In this life there's no surrender
2: Again, for coming to Bard's Logic, political talk, part of the growing conservative conversation and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. So go ahead, let's hear a brief uh, message from the Patriot Journalist Network.
3: You're not just listening to a show, you're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team grassroots conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at patriotjournalist.com. Let PJ Net add our muscle to your hustle.
2: And also check out the Bards Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. We can see a list of our past guests on the show, also some links to some wonderful organizations that, of course, uh, could use your financial help. And, of course, the contact page, among others, uh, where you can contact me, the host, about tonight's or any other shows, or if you'd like to have a topic on Bards Logic Political Talk, you can send a message from the contact page there as well. So go to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, and tonight our guest will be Casey Macy, and what we'll be discussing tonight is his experience with Border Patrol agents and the ATS, and we'll ask... uh, Are those who are supposed to protect America from illegal immigrants paving the way for their arrival into America by making it more difficult for its citizens to guard our borders? And also, should armed citizens, militias, and property owners be allowed to protect borders? So we'll be uh, asking those questions, among others, and so uh, we'll bring that in tonight. And so we will see if uh, we've got somebody on the line here. We'll open up the mic, see if that's our guest tonight. 214, is this KC?
4: Yes, it is.
2: Okay, great. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight?
4: I'm doing fine, sir. Thanks
2: for asking. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, let's go ahead and get uh, what, of course, seems to be the biggest portion that the media, and they've been covering uh, what's going on, or what's happening with yourself and with the ATF, the things of that nature. If they keep referring back, to what happened in nineteen eighty eight, uh which of course was twenty six years ago and you were, you know, just a, a youth of about in the early twenties. So tell us about that, you know, just get that out of the way. Because unfortunately that's uh a lot of the focus of what, you know, the media, at least what I've seen, has brought up. Uh well <clears throat> I
4: grew up in Dallas, uh which was uh Dallas, Texas. And the part of Dallas that I grew up in was called Rogue. And anybody that's familiar with the Dallas area or or the Dallas suburbs, Pleasant Grove was a very rough part of town. And basically, like Oak Cliff and some of the other uh, rough extremities, either you're a victim or a victimizer. Um, I was young, dumb, did drugs, uh, thought that, hey, well, I don't want to be victimized, so I'll be a victimizer. And so I fell into that game and, I became a criminal. Um, When I was 22 years old, I was arrested and charged. I was part of a, a fence, basically. What I was doing was buying stolen merchandise from people that were robbing businesses. and They would take their stolen goods and put them in a pawn shop, take the pawn tickets, go drop them off. I would go pick up the pawn tickets and go pick the stuff up out of the pawn shop thinking that, oh, well, it went through a pawn shop, so there's no way I can get busted for it. You know, I was smarter than the police, and I thought I figured a way to hustle the system, and they taught me very quickly that uh, I was incorrect. And uh, I was arrested, put in jail, and sentenced to five years in prison. At the time, in Texas, burglary was a first-degree felony, which carried the penalty of five life. Uh, it has since been decriminalized, and now burglary in Texas is uh, two to twenty sentence. Uh, but I was arrested in eighty eight under the old law, so that's why I got five years because that was the minimum you could get. I went you're pa- you're my time all- in the Texas Department of. I went and served time in the Texas Department of Corrections. Uh, I was paroled, and I satisfactorily. I've my parole, and I have not violated or reoffended since then.
2: Right, and you—you know—you paid your debt uh, to society, and you have not had, as you said, any other rest since that in uh, twenty-six years. So, what is it that changed that you know, kind of kept you on the straight and narrow? Excuse me. You know, you know, you, you had the—you know—what happened in your twenties. Uh, and, the, and the rough, you know, growing up things of that nature. But something changed, something has changed uh, to, you know, put you on the straight and narrow besides, uh, you know, prison. I mean, of course, that would be a big part of it. But what else uh, would you contribute to, uh, you know, you going straight and narrow and, and not doing any kind of offenses any longer?
4: Well, when I was in prison, being as of my age, I was young, so they put me in what they called field units, where you go out with a, a hoe, which we called an Aggie, which is just a big hoe, and we would have to go out and cut down weeds on the side of the highways. I had to work in huge, big gardens with fields of vegeta—you know, vegetables because back then the prison system grew and, and processed their own vegetables. And uh, I learned more about myself in that time than I had ever thought that I could know about myself. Uh, <laughs> anybody that's been in that position can... Uh, tell you about agiatis and that's where your hands from gripping that hoe all day become curved where you can't even open your fingers up. I was ha- my hands were literally bloody pulps. Um, I resented being treated like an animal and caged like an animal, you know, I was embarrassed of that fact. I was, I never wanted to have to live that experience again. You know, it was uh, it was an eye-opening experience, and it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about myself, and it taught me a lot about respect for others. And I never wanted to be put back in that position again. I never wanted to go to prison again. So it made me change
2: my life. So well, certainly, and um, now, you know, something to bring up is that, and we talked about this briefly, on the uh on the phone off air, but you know I, I thought it was a good answer, and definitely something that it would be good for the audience uh to hear as well so you could have had in, in, in some of the articles and uh that I've read and some comments that people have made uh you know, kind of came up with this question as well, and so it even made me even more curious uh about it is you could have had gotten the convention expunged, and then also of course uh if that would have happened been able to uh carry a firearm anywhere. Uh, because of it uh, Why did you choose um, not to do that?
4: Why did I? I'm sorry I, I'm get bad signal yeah, out here say, so why,
2: why did you choose not to get
4: uh, the record expunged? Well, because I didn't think that it was necessary Because it was Actually, I don't wear it as a badge of shame um, I wear it as a badge of honor It was very valuable life's lesson to me It taught me Like I told you about myself more than I ever thought that I knew about myself. It was an experience that while I regretted greatly while I was going through it, it has made a positive change in the rest of my life. So, I felt no need to try to hide it or conceal it and I let it go because I did it. I committed it and I needed to live with it for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. I never hid it from anybody. It it is what it is and And I paid my debt, and I never thought that I needed to to hide that fact. You know, everybody that knows me and respects me back home personally, they all know of my history, and that history has helped me to help other people who have been in similar situations to recover their life because I've been able to be an example that, hey, look, you can move on beyond that point. Just because you put yourself in that position doesn't mean that you're permanently forever Ruined, and so I've been able to to be an example to people. And if I tried to go cover it and hide it, I don't think it would have been as effective for me to help other people.
2: And I and I agree with you know I, I agree with all these points. But one thing that through doing some further research uh, to ask further, especially in the light of of what you're facing now is that and let's say this blows over and everything, you know, comes out and there's no charges or convictions or anything of that nature. We'll talk more about that uh, later on in the show, certainly, is that uh, after this all goes, because one of the things that they're charging with is, um, you know, with the possession of firearms and as a convicted felon, that there's, you know, some arguments on both sides on whether uh, you were allowed to carry those in the first place because of it. Now, if you would have gotten it, expunged or in the future get it expunged uh then you having a firearm wouldn't be any kind of issue correct
4: well typically the federal government has no jurisdiction in state issues and according to state law uh texas penal code chapter 4604 i believe it is i am allowed by texas law to have firearms on my person in my home and transporting between my residences for my self-protection. So by state law, I was able to have those arms with me and on me. Um, the okay. actual border shooting incident, those arms were recovered from my vehicle, the mule. They were not on my person. So there again, by state law, I had permission or I had availability to have those weapons while I was transporting them to and from my residence.
2: And you're talking about, uh, were you transferring between your residence and Camp Lone Star?
4: Camp Lone Star and also we had a, a motel room in town that belonged to the camp. It was in my name, but it was used by the camp so that we could go in and take, hours and, and sleep in a regular bed and, and watch the news because at Camp Lone Star it was very primitive living. We lived on the border. Uh, we typically slept in tents and we took a bath out of a water hose. So, you know, every couple of days it was nice to go get a hot shower and actually sit in some AC and watch some TV before right. going back to camp.
2: Tell us about uh, Camp Lone Star. Uh Tell the audience, you know, for those who are familiar with it, uh, what is the purpose of the camp, and how has it been able to get recruits? Camp Lone Star was uh, a camp set up on private
4: property, a, a man named R- Mr. Rusty Moncease, and he had lived on this property since the 1940s. He had uh, been intimately involved with the problems of illegal aliens. He'd had... At least 100 animals killed dogs by illegals. He had to shoot an illegal at eight years old. Um, his family was always had a history and a problem with illegal immigrants. And in the last few years, the problem had escalated to the point that he was uh, in fear of his safety and his property was being defaced and damaged almost daily. And so he wanted people to come help him protect his property and that's his life. And so he allowed us to come set up this property, which is situated directly on the border of Texas and Mexico, right outside of Brownsville, Texas. Uh, The members that we had there were uh, regular citizens. We had citizens from different states all across the United States. Um, Me in particular, I'm from Texas, so... You know, I was protecting my own state, but we had people come from Indiana, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana, uh, Arizona, (coughs) Kansas. I mean, we had Patriots militia brothers from all across the United States.
2: And you were using uh, your own funds to, you know, know, help pay for the camp, correct?
4: Use my own personal funds. Yes, I spent over ten thousand dollars of money supporting the mission. Uh, there was GoFundMe account that had been set up where people were donating funds, and uh, I had a lot of people. Uh, one of them, whose name is Bethany Clem, she collected a lot of food in my town where I'm from. I'm I'm well known and respected, and so she went around and did food drives here in my county and was able to bring vehicle loads of food down there uh canned goods dry goods and then there's another guy uh on facebook his name is hugh hawk and he was a another big contributor of food and and dry goods and canned goods and juices and water and that's how we were able to eat and stay hydrated was mainly through the efforts of those two people
2: and wasn't there a, a point where the gentleman who you were protecting, you know, his home, Mr. Monty's, uh was it? Was there a time where he came back and decided he no longer wanted your protection, or to, you know, to go and and search out to see if there's a, a illegals around his uh, property? No, sir. That was
4: another place. That was in Fort Hancock, Texas, and that was a guy okay. named George who had worked, he works for the federal government, and that's uh, one of the most uh, noted original border missions, that's where Blaine Cooper uh, took and made videos of the guy's wife and the FLIR video of the uh, illegals crawling through the uh, cotton fields, you know, with the FLIR, and uh, that was really the first AO opened in Texas, was in Fort Hancock, and that was George's property, and that's he's the one that had come in and decided that he didn't need the help anymore when he came back from his road trip.
2: Yeah. You know, that's right. That's right. Cause my, you know, a question that, that leads into, uh, is do you believe that he truly didn't need the help or that maybe he was getting some outside pressures, uh, to make, you know, kind of sway him in his decision with that? I
4: believe it was, uh, both. I believe mainly, uh, to the fact that George is a contractor to the United States government. He is an arms dealer and, uni- and explosives dealer contractor to the government. And when he was out of town, he was in Quantico teaching a sniper training school. So he was intimately involved with the federal government, and I believe they resented the fact that he allowed us on his property. But he wanted us there because his wife was there by herself, and he wanted to make sure that she had the extra added security due to the insurgents of the illegals coming across. I mean, at that time is when the big push coming across our borders started. And when he got through with his assignment in Quantico and returned home, he fancies himself, you know, a good shot of, of law enforcement and he didn't feel like he needed the assistance anymore, that he would be able to provide the security for his family by himself.
3: And so Mm -hmm. it wasn't
4: on bad terms. He just said that he didn't need us anymore, and so he relieved everybody on post of their duty to protect his property.
2: Right. I believe I read somewhere that, you know, kind of the opposite of that. I'm not saying it's true, but uh, that some media was, you know, or an article was trying to make it out, at least it sounded like to me, that it was, you know, he no longer wanted uh, there, not just because he could do it himself, but he was actually concerned because of your presence on his property that it would actually cause uh, the presence would cause the harm.
4: That was no, I spoke directly with him, and I was one of the last people that was there at that AO that left. I left the same day that everybody else left. I, I was and had personal communication
2: with George that was not expressed to us. Okay. And, and, and part of that, I think, is a good segue in, is to uh, the cartels that are down there, uh, specifically the Golfo. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> maybe I'm not. Uh, the Golfo uh, uh, cartel, which, at least through you know, my research, is the one that you uh, had the most, maybe not contact with, but um, observation of or things of that nature. Tell us about that. Um If
4: I'm not mistaken, and I'm not a
2: cartel expert, but
4: I believe the Fort Hickok area, which is right there around El Paso, is controlled by the Juarez Cartel. Um, The cartel that we dealt with down in Brownsville was the Gulf Cartel. And in Spanish, they called it Cartel Golfo, which is the Gulf Cartel. And those were the people that I had the most experience with in dealing with their mules and their They're smugglers, and they're the ones that uh, supposedly, and this was told to me by law enforcement, that they had put contracts
2: on my head and Rusty's head. And some of the, I'm not saying you came in contact with these, but uh, some of the articles also mentioned ISIS. I
4: cannot tell you specifically directly that we ever apprehended or dealt with an Quote ISIS terrorist. I can tell you definitively that we did capture and assist in capturing multiple men of Middle Eastern descent. What their affiliation was, I would be speculating to tell you, but I do know for a fact that we did apprehend and help apprehend numerous Middle Eastern descent people. Uh, the majority of the people that we dealt with on the border were not mexican over two-thirds of the illegal invaders that we were put in a position to have to detain were from south america and the middle east
2: yeah so that yes yeah, so it tells about some of the successes uh on the border you know with the detention or detaining, and also uh, describe more about you know, because some folks like, wait a minute, you're not law enforcement. How can you detain or in, in a way arrest uh, these illegal immigrants? Uh, tell us how that is so. Well, anybody that is unfamiliar with rights as American citizens can
4: go look up. It's called a citizen's arrest. Any citizen in the state or the United States that witnesses somebody committing a felony has the right, and as far as I'm concerned, the obligation and duty to detain and hold those people for law enforcement. And what we did was quite clearly and simply legally detain. We could not move them because then we could be charged with furtherance of illegal immigration. But we could hold them at the spot that we caught them, detain them, and notify Border Patrol to come pick them up. And then they would transport them to wherever they took them to the holding facilities, to jails, wherever it was. And every American has that right of
2: it's called a citizen's arrest. response have you had uh, with the border patrol agents or with border patrol in general? Well, um, just like the brief that I sent you basically
4: about my chronicles on the border. Originally, uh, well, in the first part of my time on the border, the first month, because I got to the border in July, um, I pretty much did reconnaissance from Laredo West all the way to Fort Hancock. And it was our experience in dealing with the Border Patrol at that point that the Border Patrol was extremely corrupt. We had no faith in them. They spent more time following us, harassing us, than they ever did trying to stop illegal immigration. Um, It wasn't until I got to the McAllen area, and I met some of those Border Patrol guys, and I took them to be honest and genuine, and they seemed sincere in their effort to try to repel the foreign invaders. And that's where a lot of the videos and stuff that were coming across TV came from, was the McAllen region and that's where they were bringing the women and children and all that stuff across. That's where the biggest news stories came out of. When we got to Brownsville and we set up Camp Lone Star, we had a meeting with some of the top brass of, well, the top brass of the Brownsville station, and we also had a top uh, Border Patrol official from Houston come and sit in, and we had a meeting at the headquarters of Camp Lone Star. At that meeting, we were able to sit down and create SOPs, standard operating procedures, ROEs, and our procedures and where and how we would patrol as to protect the safety of ourselves and Border Patrol Uh, because one of their biggest concerns at the time was that they would run into us pursuing illegal immigrants and they would find us armed and then it could be a potential uh, physical situation that would not be good for either party.
2: And, uh, you know, kind of fast-forwarding things a, a little bit, is uh, tell us about what happened uh, with the ATF, and that's going to kind of bring us into more recent uh, events and what you're dealing with now. The
4: ATF was uh, notified by the board, well, what happened was uh, they after they shot at us on August 29th, of uh, two thousand and fourteen, the border patrol uh we were in an area of private property where we had permission to be somehow they bungled and wound up shooting at one of our team one of my teammates. I was the leader of the the patrol, and one of my teammates was shot at. supposedly the border patrol agent was thirty five feet away and discharged his weapon five times and never struck my teammate. Now, at the time, the official Border Patrol story was that the agent who had been working uh, a Border Patrol checkpoint uh, who was on rotation and was unfamiliar with actually working on the border, he's the one that discharged his weapon. He saw my teammate with a weapon. It frightened him, and so he opened fire. Uh, he never issued any commands, and they ne- they told me at the time that he never, my teammate, never pointed a weapon toward the Border Patrol. He turned toward the Border Patrol with a weapon in his hand, at which point the Border Patrol opened fire. Anyway, after that shooting incident, we had a strained relationship with the Border Patrol. Prior to that, for about three weeks, we had a perfect, harmonious relationship with the Border Patrol. After the shooting, there was a great deal of mistrust between us and border patrol. I mean, they shot at us. They knew we were there. We were assisting one of their agents at the time that they shot at us. So we didn't trust them. And then half of them, they were embarrassed of the fact that one of theirs had shot at us and we'd been working so well together. The other half, they didn't want us there in the first place. And i I believe it's because of the corruption there and we were getting in the way. So then fast Mm -hmm. forward up until the middle of October. Well, the harassment by Border Patrol had been increasingly getting worse. They would try to stop us during patrol, ask us what we were doing. And at this point, they were fully aware of who we were because we used uh, a 2014 Kawasaki mule that I, it was my personal. Uh, vehicle, I had it specially outfitted with LED lights, spotlight. I mean, you could tell my mule from any other vehicle anywhere around. It was specially outfitted vehicle, so they knew the vehicle and they knew the occupants of the mule. There's no doors, so it's wide open. You can see exactly who's on the mule. But they continued to pull us over and ask us, "Well, what are you doing? Why are you out here?" And they just became more aggressive toward interfering with our patrols. Well, around uh, August 14th or 15th, uh, they pulled us over on the night patrol that I was leading. It was myself and another teammate, and we were down by the Cartel Beach area, or what we referred to as Cartel Beach. They pulled us over with six Border Patrol vehicles with their lights flashing, and they impeded our free travel by blocking us where we couldn't go around. So we stopped. And that video is recorded, and it is on uh, YouTube. And I believe you put a link to that up on your, your Blog Talk radio website. At that point, mm-hmm. the Border Patrol started trying to assert authority on me and us that they were not legally authorized to have, and I vocalized that and pointed it out to them. Um, after about 10 minutes, yeah, feel it looked like he was agreeing with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, because he knew that I was right, and I know my rights and the laws of the state of Texas, and I know what their limitations are. So I was able to vocalize that and get my point across. Well, they finally relented and let us move on. Well, after I finished my patrol, I I thought about it, and it, it upset me. the point that they physically tried to intimidate us with six border patrol vehicles and they swarmed us like we were common criminals knowing what we were doing why we were there they knew it was my vehicle they had no reason to do us like that so i requested the nearest border patrol agent to have his captain come back and speak with me at the camp because i was offended that they tried to intimidate us like that. And that video is also on YouTube, and I believe you put a copy of that up on your website. And at that point, Mm -hmm. I was able to verbalize with the Border Patrol captain my uh, dissatisfaction with the way that he treated me and my teammate, and the things that they were employing against us. Even though we had never posed them any threat or any harm, we had always tried to work with them, We had always showed them the utmost respect. And like I said, anybody wants to, they can go listen to the video. It doesn't have a, a, a video portion. It's all audio. But you can clearly hear myself and the Border Patrol captain that was in the earlier video having this conversation. And he admitted readily that they did not have the authority to sweat, you know, to come after us, to harass us they did not have the authority to enforce state law, that their only authority was to deal with illegal immigrants. And it was five days later that I was accosted by federal agents uh, in the parking lot of the hotel. And what the FBI told me was that Border Patrol had notified them and wanted to press charges over the August 29th incident the FBI, because mm-hmm. they don't investigate firearms uh, issues, contacted the ATF. And the ATF, the best they could come up with was the Commerce Clause uh, law violation. And so they came after me under the Commerce Clause. Well,
2: they use that for a lot. But,
4: well, in and, and most cases, it's acceptable because the whole point of that law and why it was written, it started in the 30s, and it was to combat uh, the mob who at the time was smuggling arms and alcohol and stuff across state lines. And they were typically, the mob were felons, and typically they were armed, and they were using those arms to protect their illegal cargo. So when they passed the law, everybody agreed with it because it was geared specifically toward the criminal element. In the 60s, they updated the law when they took away the right for citizens to have machine guns. And they added more clauses to the law. And typically it's used against people who are engaged in smuggling drugs across state lines and smuggling command across state lines who are criminals who are using those weapons as a matter of protection for their illegal uh acts. I am that I can find, I am the only person that I have found in my situation that has been accosted and used this law against um, Everybody else does a secondary charge To the felon in possession charge And the Supreme Court in the United States versus Lopez Said that to be able to use this charge against somebody You have to prove that I had a, a substantial effect In commerce or affecting commerce I had to substantially affect commerce which I do not. The Supreme Court has already ruled on that, and so that is going to be part of my defense because I in no way affected interstate commerce. Therefore, they have no reason to try to come at me with those charges other than to get me off the border and to try to silence me, which has not been effective in silencing me.
2: Yeah, we had a gentleman last week uh, in Fakesville, one of Listen to it, the archive is available on podcast, and perhaps we could talk a little bit more about it later, uh, where he was uh, trying to get some investigative work done by grand juries into uh, political corruption uh, there in Florida. And so, you know, folks want to listen more about that. uh, That's on our podcast, as I said, and and perhaps we'll talk more about that, um, you know, later on in the show, perhaps in the extended period. So, so one of the things that's brought up is also the quote unquote explosives uh, that you had as part of, I guess, the evidence against you. Uh, tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was
4: ironic, and it's, I find it humorous because the Let me just uh, compare bureau of, to
2: compare it to McVeigh. So go ahead.
4: Yes, but what it was and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and explosives. Is supposed to be trained in detecting and knowing different types of, quote, explosives. What I had in my possession in my vehicle, and the reason I had it in my vehicle, was so that somebody couldn't take it and misuse it. So I kept it under lock and key to make sure that it was safe. was Tannerite. It is a readily available uh, exploding target compound that you use when you shoot long-range targets. Because if you're shooting a target at three or 400 yards, unless you have a very strong spotting scope, it's hard to tell where you hit on the paper. So what you do is you use this Tannerite, this target exploding target compound. It's a two-part component. It has a white granular substance and a gray powder substance. When you mix the two, That's when it becomes, quote, explosive, and a high-velocity bullet detonated. That was in my truck in an ammo can legally in its original packaging. It was not mixed, and the fuel that they're referring to was the gray powder that it takes to make it into a volatile uh, substance. Um, They tried to compare it. (laughs) like I was Timothy McVeigh who used actual fuel, diesel fuel and racing fuel mixed with ammonium nitrate to create the bomb at the Murray Federal Building. I had five pounds of it. Five pounds won't even knock a dent in a building. I mean, it was. we never used it because we didn't have a long enough target range to use it. Therefore, I didn't want it misused in case somebody was there and wanted to make something out of it and try to use it for something that it wasn't intended. I kept it secured in
2: my vehicle. Hmm. I just had a realization here. I wonder, uh, In this, <laughs> I'm a big Star Trek fan, and one of the races there was called a Telerite. so I'm going to do some research to see if maybe that's where they got the name for that race in Star Trek. But anyway, I digress. So <laughs> um, I'll, I'll have to check that out. Now, with, with Telluride, I, I mean, frankly, I don't know uh, much about it. I'm going to do some more research maybe uh, when I have other folks You can buy There's it There's not much of an explosive you from Telluride, is there? Is that where it's just Tannerite. like a flash powder it's, on this?
4: It's more of a, a smoke than it is a concussive. It does, depending on how you package it, it comes in plastic bags, and if you use it, In those plastic bags, when you strike it, it's more of a poof and a big cloud of white smoke. Now, if you were to try to package it in a metal container, then it would be more concussive because it holds the explosion longer, so when it does let go, it does make a big boom. Um, There's been videos on YouTube where people have taken 50 pounds and put it in a barrel and detonated it in the back of a dump truck and destroyed a dump truck. Uh, But you're legally able to possess up to 50 pounds of this Tannerite, and it it comes in different names, but you can buy it at any uh, sporting goods store, at Dick's, at Academy, at just about any gun store, you can buy this stuff. It's completely legal, and it's readily available anywhere.
2: Okay, and uh moving forward, we' only get about uh twenty minutes before I want to go ahead and bring the panelists on and I do see uh some folks lining up uh and I see Dinah's is back on uh the line, I believe as well, and we'll get everyone in uh, just push the, if you are on the line, just push the one on the number dial, and we will get you in. but for those who are uh in the audience who are listening and like to call in, give us a call at three four seven nine four five. Seven, four, two, eight. Uh, we will be bringing Dan in shortly One of our panelists As we wait for the other ones to uh, call in as well But uh, there's still plenty of time in the show We still have you know a little more than two hours left So we've got plenty of time And of course uh, we will get uh, everyone in And they can be part of uh, the show tonight uh, But first I just have uh, Just actually one more question uh, Before I bring Dan in There was two but I'll go ahead and bring him in After this one Is uh, What do you say to your detractors you say that uh you might have uh, what that you do not have the training nor the authority to guard the borders
4: well <clears throat> i would strongly disagree and i believe to be the biggest problem is the training that border patrol uses because what we utilize is called common sense and basically i equated it to a childhood game of red rover Red Rover, Red Rover, let so-and-so come over, and you stand with your arms locked, and the person tries to run through your arms. Basically, what we did was we would set out scouts along the border with radios. When they saw the cartel stacking people up to push them across the border, they would radio in their position. We would flood the area and stand on the bank. Typically, in the Texas uh, in the Brownsville area, the Texas border is at a higher elevation than the Mexican side. You've got like a, a small drop-off cliff that goes anywhere from 10 to 20 feet to the river, almost straight down. And on the Mexican side, it's usually a graduated beach coming into the river. Some, some places it has high bank, but typically all we would do is go stand on the the bank of the river or on the edge of the ridge The illegals would look up and see a, a bunch of men standing along the edge And they'd be like, well, this probably is not a good place to cross So they would turn around and dissipate back into the woods um, Not saying that they didn't cross somewhere else Not saying that they didn't move you know, a mile down the river either way I don't know what they did But I know that while we were there, they never tried to cross in our presence we were a deterrent simply by our presence. And that is one thing that the Border Patrol, with all of their awesome training, they stay three to 400 yards off the river. Well, you're giving somebody a, a big head start and a heck of a run at the Red Rover wall if you're that far back. If you're right there on the river, they're coming out still dripping wet. They're not going to try to struggle and fight and go against men standing on the edge of the river armed. And they didn't ever know because we never told them who we were. They would ask us, are you militia? Are you military? Are you police? And we'd just look at them and smile. And we never answered who we were or what we were. And that alone was enough of a deterrent to keep them from trying to cross in our presence. So anybody that says our training was inadequate, I beg to differ. It's because we didn't have training that we were able to be effective. Those that have training are nowhere near as effective as we are or were.
2: And what about the argument about the authority to be able to do what you're doing?
4: Well, like I explained to you earlier when you first asked me about it, we have the authority. We are the citizens. We are the keepers of our country. We have the ultimate authority to protect our country. It's in the Constitution. It's the militia, the Militia Act. We have the right of citizens to defend our nation against foreign invaders, against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And we have the power of arrest. It's called a citizen's arrest. And anybody that doubts what I'm saying, please go to
2: Google and look up citizens arrest. And, and last question that I that I did have and it'll just be a you know a, a brief answer um is so what what would you say to those who are calling the illegals coming in either uh migrants or refugees?
4: Well, my uh objection to those terms is if you were typically or legitimately a refugee you would go through the channels to gain refugee status, and that involves going through Customs and Border Patrol. If you were trying to be a legal migrant, you would also go through the legal channels and go through Customs and Border Patrol. When you are illegally crossing into our country, you are a criminal. It is a felony to cross the river, whether you're an American citizen or not. If you come across the river and do not come through a border patrol port of entry, you are a criminal by definition, by law, federal law. That is illegal, and it is a felony.
2: And, and I do find it interesting, when you know, when I was reading uh, the comments in some of the articles that I was reading, how quick they were to uh, criticize uh, you, and, you know, saying about, you know, oh, well, you know, talk about the record that, you know, you had 26 years ago, uh, and use that in the defense of uh, the criminals, as you just stated, uh, coming across the border, of course, which is, you know, something that's more recent, and how they're it seems like they're just more apt to defend uh, these foreign criminals than they are those who, you know, made you know mistakes, you know, years ago, and, uh, you know, have already worked, already uh, worked and got their uh, pay their debts to society and things of that nature. I, f- I find that ironic. Uh, but I find it know, humorous that's what and I stand ironic. I agree. Yeah. Um, I, I must admit, I don't find any humor in it, but I, I do find it ironic. But I do want to go ahead and at this point in time uh, bring in Dan. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania, another, uh, one of our panelists here. Thank you very much, Dan, for causing the show. And uh, you know some of the folks yourself. Uh, but thank you for coming on the show. How are you?
3: Not too bad. I I managed to uh, catch up on some of that chronic sleep deficit that most of us are feeling uh, with this liberty movement working so hard. But uh, I passed out for a couple hours when I got home, and uh, the wife was very nice, tucked me in, and then woke me up in time for the show. So God bless her. Uh, Welcome, Mr. Massey. We'll
2: have dinner after the show. Now go ahead, Dan. (laughs) Yeah,
3: well... Food's another thing I forget sometimes. Uh, Mr. Yeah, Massey, on a personal note, uh, back in uh, the 80s when I was in my 20s, I was a thug myself and a, a criminal involved in uh, gambling, drugs, and violence, weapons. Uh, difference, Two differences only. One, I, I never got caught. Um, I wasn't necessarily smarter. I was certainly luckier. Um, hard labor is what did it for you. Um, for me, it was the love of a good woman. And in time, God and just wanting the truth. But uh, if we're to be judged by the content of our character, we can only be judged for our actions, as you were. Amen. And and, and I don't hide what I did. Um, Just as we've seen the good go bad, especially when they go to D.C., so, too, folks can redeem themselves, people who did bad. Uh, I have, you have, uh, a lot of us have, The, the federal rules, Um, regarding disqualification of basic rights, such as the right to keep and bear arms, even after satisfying all sentences and penalties. Well, the list of offenses is is huge. It's it's very long. Many of these are administrative penalties, too. They're not even criminal. And under sufficient scrutiny, I think that nearly everyone could be considered guilty of some offense which would take away your rights. Now, the states determine... This is a practical matter, not what's legal or proper, but I agree this is legal and proper. The states determine whether former felons can have their franchise to vote restored. But the feds can use any excuse, if it's a crime of any kind that at any point could be considered punishable by a year or more in jail, they declare that you have no right to own a weapon, and they will use that against you. Um, That's true. This 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 cannerite thing that you're talking about, and I'm familiar with the substance, is it a perfect example of how they misapply law to use it against honest citizens while at the same time using this so-called prosecutorial discretion to ignore serious and real offenses by actual criminals. The Obama administration continues to release tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands, of violent felons, not just people who were involved in something that was technically illegal. We're talking rapists, murderers, uh, uh Bad dudes right onto the streets simply because they're illegal. They, they don't belong on anybody's streets, not ours, not anybody's. They're, they are you know, MS-13 members and, and uh, you know, cartel members. This is – I'm not saying these people couldn't be redeemed, but they're going to have to stop what they're doing and, and uh, make amends before that could ever happen. Um, you mentioned uh, the ISIS. Um, there have been some articles recently, just this week, of actual evidence. This is verified that ISIS and al-Qaeda operatives have been crossing and recrossing the southern border. Right now, 24 states are suing Obama over illegal immigration because he refuses to follow the existing law while demanding that the Congress and the Senate pass new laws to make sure that he's not impeached for simply making law with his pen. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
3: We're talking about uh, qualifications, um, whether you're qualified to do what you're doing. It's a tired excuse. Only government experts can do the job. Well, that argument completely fails. Just look at the results. These are the experts. They're not doing the job. Now, as far as what could be done, um, I don't favor rounding people up and putting them in camps. Um, My own personal thought is simply criminalize any employer who does not do the proper vetting. If they're fooled. If the feds are fooled, it's not the employer's fault. But at my work, I work at an unemployment office in a cubicle. For God's sakes, um, we have a save. We use the save system. Um, we can verify somebody's uh, legal status with a picture uh, that has to match what they look like in literally seconds. And it could be fooled, I suppose, um, by somebody who was really motivated and had someone on the inside. But It's very hard to fool, especially for the majority of people who are not al-Qaeda members or or cartel members. And if an employer goes through that system, then they're exempt. They didn't commit any crimes. If the system's fooled, that's not their problem. But if they hire somebody and they don't put them through the system, I say uh, dock them for Whatever the cost of uh, that person's salary is for a year on a first offense on one person, three years on the second person, and if there's any further offenses, put them in jail. That would stop it in a heartbeat. If you come here, and if there's no jobs, why come here? And if there's no benefits, 10 years.
4: You should be here 10 years
3: before you can receive a benefit. Go ahead.
4: Why shouldn't an employer be charged like they threatened to charge us for furtherance of illegal immigration, which is a felony. Because if you are allowing someone that is an illegal immigrant to work and gain money and gain status in this country, then you are furthering illegal immigration. And as such, you should be penalized and charged with a felony under federal law for furtherance of illegal immigration. So I don't believe in fining them. I say put them in prison. If you don't want to take the chance to do, like you said, go through your program where you can verify. And if now, like you said, if they pass that, then I don't blame them. But if they knowingly and intentionally hire them, then they need to be penalized severely.
3: Well, you just mentioned the two words, knowingly and intentionally. In in, uh, criminal law, mens rea in Latin, that you have the mind with a reason. Uh, is required. You have to know what you're doing. If, you, if it's a complete error a mistake, a bookkeeping error, you've got idiots running that that segment of your business. Um, that's not necessarily criminal. But if you know what you're doing, or you're deliberately trying to skirt the law, absolutely. Back in 1956, um, Eisenhower, uh, there was a, a Republican and a pretty soft guy, uh, even though he was a. Uh, um, A war hero and a general. He was not a a bad guy. He was not like, oh, you know, let's cut off all the social programs. It was pretty soft and decent. Um, But there was a huge problem with illegal immigration. Millions of people here from Mexico. And now I understand, as you said, two thirds of them are from other places like South America and the Middle East and China to that also. But he had Mm -hmm. a problem, and, and here's how he figured out how to do it. He started something which is completely politically incorrect to use a title like this today. We couldn't use the title Operation Wetback, which he did. But first thing he did was he reassigned the agents who were bought and paid for far away from the border. He sent them to offices in the middle of the country, way up in north. Like you know, okay, you go sit in this office in Fargo, North Dakota. You go sit there. We've got. So so it doesn't matter you're bought and paid for, That you can't do anything. And he brought in new people, and with minimal personnel, they didn't even require the National Guard or anything, um, they rounded up millions, and they weren't just turned back where they can come right back across the border the next day. They were shipped back, far south, uh, train rides, and there was at least one instance where they packed them all on a ship and sent them, Way south, these people were miserable when they got off, but safe, and they, they didn't want to come back, and that, that's really the only ex- way to do it. Look, I'm not uh, against, as you said, uh, legal migrants who you know, go through – I work with a Mexican-American guy who is a citizen, came here the right way, worked with law enforcement against the cartels, worked in banking, and works in my office now. Uh, he's a great American, and he knows the Constitution. We're not against refugees, um, there are people who are seriously in danger because they're Christian or because they're Jewish in a Muslim country uh, or, or any number of other things. If they're going up against the cartels, that could be refugee. But there are, as you said, legal procedures to go through. Um, so we're not hard-hearted. But if we took in every single person who wanted to come here and just st- start sucking off the government tit, we'd be rapidly overwhelmed. And that seems to be the government's purpose in doing this. Um, Absolutely, on, you're talking. You're obviously a very educated or self-educated person, and you're talking about the conditions on the ground. But you've got to have some uh, insights into what you think is going on on a larger level, where um, establishment Democrats, Republicans, businesses like the uh, owners like the Chamber of Commerce and and the large uh, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, Googles and Bing's and, and you know Microsoft, and the rest of them. Uh, they seem to be in collusion to bring all these illegals in. Why do you think they want to do that?
4: My opinion is it's all about money, and it's not uh, its not about the average person that you catch coming across the border or the people that we caught coming across the border. The people that like would be employed by Microsoft are going to be people that are um, more intellectual, people that are more skilled. These people that we... Dealt with, I dealt with coming across the border, were people that were coming here for criminal enterprise. Uh, very, few, the whole time I was on the border, we encountered one child. Uh, you know, on the media they put all these children, but you know, that was a focused media event, and that was orchestrated by the government and the cartel to distract from what's really going on on the border. The majority of the people that I dealt with were young males in their twenties. Uh, Those people are not coming here to be legal and lawful if they're breaking the law right off the bat to get in here. And another thing that a lot of people don't realize, the cartel will kill you for crossing the border without paying the toll. They hold these immigrants' family members hostage until they send the money back to pay for their trip over. Uh, There's lots of ways that. People can come here legally. If for nothing else, every anybody can come across the border through a port of entry on a, a visitor's visa. They're only allowed, I believe, it's forty miles to travel past the border. But it's easier to come right across the bridge legally and disappear. But these people are intentionally subverting all efforts of legality. They're totally criminal. And they're not coming here to try to, quote, make a better life for themselves when they're engaged with the cartel and engaged in illegal conduct to get here. I don't feel sorry for the people. I saw the people. I dealt with the people. And those people, you can go look at the videos and how they cussed us out. You know, people that are trying to get here for a nice life and a better life are not going to verbally attack us the way that they verbally attack us all the time. These people are criminal. They're coming here to make money in this country off of criminal activity, drugs, smuggling. Uh, One thing that is big that a lot of people don't realize is human smuggling as far as children. Um, In Mexico, while I was there in Matamoros, they found a van full of child bodies that had been Emptied out. They took their organs, and those organs wind up coming to America to help poor little kids that had failing organs. Well, what about those poor little kids who were harvested? You know, that's the thing that people don't understand. The cartel are the major criminals in this. They make money pushing these people over. They get paid (laughs) five to six thousand dollars a head.
3: You know, uh, there's there's another aspect. uh a lot of people talk about this alleged war on women that the uh, the supposed right wing has in this country and they ignore what goes on uh with all women in middle eastern countries you know in, uh, I shouldn't say middle eastern Israel you can be a woman and be prime minister for god's sakes but uh, uh or an army general uh, or a doctor but in the islamic countries and now the um a large number of young Women and young boys too, uh, who are smuggled into this country, become in effect slaves in the the slavery of sexual addictions. So we're not only satisfying the drug addictions of people in this country by bringing in um, Mexican drugs, and a lot of this is Afghanistani heroin that's coming across our southern border. We're, we're protecting it over there; it gets shipped over here, and the cartels bring it in. And there are Billions and billions of dollars of illegal profits being made on that. And we got kids dying of this crap here at home. Um, But in addition, the the sickos who want to mess with little kids and don't want to have to worry about jail time by messing with with little Johnny or Susie down at the grade school, they can pay somebody and find a little place, a little house where there's a, a whole bunch of these little kids who are completely undocumented, completely unprotected, no parents. Some of the parents sell them, sometimes they're kidnapped, and they're brought to this country and abused in the most shameful fashion. And a lot of times you won't hear about them because they they don't allow them to live, because these kids could testify. Um, this is the cartel's way of doing business down there. This is just on the other side of the border. This is the way they deal with journalists, anybody who actually tries to expose what they're doing to the public, or politicians. They've, they killed a man who was almost the president of Mexico. He was running. They kill judges and anyone who stands in their way. They'll either buy them with this huge amount of money, or they'll threaten their families, or they simply kill them. You think that beheading stuff happens only across the the uh, the ocean, or uh, in the occasional? Islamic convert here recently. No, it happens with frequency over there uh, in Mexico. There, there are parties of kids where one person had a problem with the cartel for some reason, and they decide, well, somebody they they care about is at this this quinceanera party, this, where they're they're celebrating this this coming of age of some nice young person, and they will go into the party with automatic weapons, and they've killed dozens at a time, dozens, and that's hundreds. Yep. The, the amount of murders in Mexico where the average citizen is not permitted to carry or own a weapon um, just far exceeds even the uh, murder rate in places like uh, D.C. or uh, Chicago. Trent, New, uh, Chicago, Camden, New Jersey, places with uh, anti-gun laws. Um, I, I commend you for going down there and protecting private property. Look, folks, here's a nice analogy. I'm not on the border. We have illegals here. Um, you're familiar with Hazleton, Pennsylvania. I'm only about 16 miles away from there. That's where Lou Barletta came from, and, and he is a staunch against illegal immigration, not legal, and there have been lots of fights in the, the courts on that. He's now a congressman. But uh, if if I'm on my property, and somebody keeps coming on my property, let's say they just want to run their four-wheelers or they want to grow some some pot on my property or uh, they want to come and vandalize or steal or hunt illegally, and they, they pay no attention to my property, my safety, my family. Um, they come and they shoot my uh, machines up or they they shoot in the direction of my house. A bullet might enter right near where my, my kid sleeps or something like that. Um, am I supposed to sit there and do nothing? No, I have every right to protect my property and stop these people. And I, I can do exactly as Casey says. I can apprehend them with a citizen's arrest, tell them stopping your tracks, we're waiting for law enforcement. I'm not taking them anywhere. I'm not doing anything to them. I'm merely holding them. Now, if they try and do something to me, I have the right to protect myself. But if I'm having a problem, let's say I'm an older fellow, which I'm not that bad yet, but uh, I'm getting there, or... There's ten of them and one of me. Uh, What would be the problem with me asking three or four of my neighbors with similar problems to come on down and stand alongside me? None whatsoever. That is all that Casey and his militia friends are doing on the border. That is completely legal. And as you said, Casey, that's actually a duty. If you have the ability to do it, you should.
4: I agree, and that's why I did it, and that's why most of the men that I served with on the border. That's why we did it, out of our duty and a love for our country. And while I live in North Texas and I'm not as detrimentally affected as the people on the border, my heart bleeds for those people. And I saw firsthand what they are facing. Uh, one of the statistics that we were given by law enforcement while we were down there is that the immediate area that we patrolled property crime went down 80 percent property crime being theft of vehicles burglary of homes burglary of buildings theft of property around the homes that went down 80 percent in the immediate area that we patrolled to me that made it worth it that i was able and the guys with me were able to make that much of an impact and make that much life better for those people who live in that area and i was very proud of that and i still am to this day i'm very proud of what we accomplished but like i stated many 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 times were we there to make a difference in illegal immigration no we were not i mean we patrolled three miles four miles of border out of almost 2,000. What we did and what we did accomplish, and I'm very proud of, is the fact that we showed America that we as citizens, militia, have the right and the duty to arrest illegals and to stop them from invading our country, that it did not require specialized training. It required heart. It required hard work. And a vigilant effort, and we were able to succeed in doing what the federal government is trying to tell people we cannot do. We showed by our actions, and I documented on video and audio what we have the right to do, and we did it.
3: You know and something, that's what
4: Casey?
3: We what you did was you set an example for everybody else. I mean, look, somebody's got to go first. Some of us, many of us, um, folks out there, you, you want to make sure that what you're doing makes sense. You want to make sure it's going to work. You want to understand the reasons behind it. You want to see how the ramifications are. I get that. But if you're out there right now and you've got some boldness and uh, you want to do something about this, don't go off half-cock doing something yourself. Find a group of people who are sensible, down-to-earth, common sense Thoughtful constitutionalists who are taking action, it could be the border, it could be illegal immigration that's our topic tonight, or any number of other issues because there's just about every single issue where they could push against liberty they're doing it on the elitist status side and join with that group and take some action because you're not only you you're not going to solve that problem look it's unfortunate, but like Casey said uh His actions down there with that group probably did not curtail in any significant way the total number of illegals pouring across the border. They probably just went elsewhere. Um, If there was an effect, it was on one small area, but it proved it could be done, and it proved the effect was positive. Now imagine if that spread and had some government backing, if Governor Perry would get off his ass and and do something about this, excuse my French, uh, by mobilizing their Law enforcement deputizing, the, let's say the, uh, the Texas Rangers or the uh, National Guard in that state, and simply do exactly the same thing: peacefully stand there and make a line. When I when I did security for concerts, that's often how we would deal with stuff. We had people volunteering for concerts, and some of them were big, tall, strong fellows like KC uh, is, like I, I am, Bob is. We're, we're pretty capable, and some of them were small older, diminutive, people with health issues. How do you get these people and use them in some positive way for a, a, a security problem? Well, let's say you're having a concert on a lawn. You link arms. You start walking across and just telling everybody, come on, get up. It's time to go. And most everybody gets up and, and goes. And when you run into a problem, somebody who's got uh, who's passed out drunk or who's acting belligerent or who's really bizarre – Well, you simply surround them, and they're not going anywhere. And the people who are less physically capable and maybe don't have the training step back from that line, and the people who are big, strong, trained people, the veterans, the law enforcement officers, the first responders, the firefighters, the the martial artists, they sort of step forward. And believe me, if you've got 10 or 20 people surrounding one person, that person's not going to do anything. You don't have to use any force or violence on it. And then you simply call and wait for the authorities to come and detain them, ask them their business, and process them properly through the system. And that's that's the way it's done.
2: And Absolutely.
1: Gentlemen,
2: I apologize for interrupting, but I do want to bring a couple of the audience members in. Now, first... Uh, we will be bringing in Dinah, and what we do is we uh, just let folks in in the order that they call. Uh, but first, we have uh, Dinah on the line. to will be opening up your uh, mic very soon. And then we have uh, Mayor Donnie Brock in, and he is from Quinlan, Texas. So we'll have him uh, calling in, uh, chiming in as well. But first, let's go ahead and bring in Dinah. Thank you for your patience and waiting. Dinah, how are you? Dinah's doing good. How about yourself? All doing great. Thank you very much uh, for calling in tonight.
5: <coughs> You're welcome. Hey, Casey.
2: Hey, Donna. How are you doing?
5: All right, for All right. you doing for me. question. One thing you said before, that you had nothing to do with any kind of commerce or anything. What you didn't mention is the effect you had on the cartel commerce. They're <laughs> from the federal government because, you know, they've been in bed with the Sonola cartel for quite some time, and they were letting them operate across that board. So, yeah Hence you the fast and furious, mhm, exactly, so you know you did, you affected it, and what you did Nick, last months people is, you know over a quarter million dollars of loss you saw the cartel see while you were there, you know I don't
4: know if well, one thing know. I he wanted price to... on his head. One thing I wanted to point out to people, too, is the federal government is employing the same tactics the Oath Keepers that are in Ferguson trying to protect those buildings and structures and businesses there that they tried to employ against us on the border. It is a bully tactic that the federal government is employing everywhere against people who want to stand up against evil and volunteer to protect others, other Americans, other citizens of their state against these wrongdoers. Um, There's a video that just came out today from the Oath Keepers that are in Ferguson, and they have had government snipers point rifles at them. They've had police order them off the building. They've had law enforcement threaten them with uh, criminal acts because they say that they're, quote, a security force and they're violating regulations when, in fact, they're not because they're not employed. They're volunteers just like we were on the border. Therefore, we're not regulated. But the federal government has a history, and they're uh, constantly, steadily building against people of us who want to stand out and don't need the government to protect us. You know, Benjamin Franklin said a long time ago, those who would give up their liberties for security deserve neither. I don't need somebody to secure my personal safety. I can do that on my own. And I will stand up for those who cannot do it on their own. And there's plenty of us here in this country that will do that for others. We will stand up for the people that can't stand up for themselves. But we're having to stand up against not only the criminal element, then the criminal element of the federal government. And so it stacks the deck very highly against us. And until we get more concerned people involved, this problem is going to continue to escalate, and we're going to continue to have the issues that we're seeing in Ferguson that we see on the border. The federal government is completely corrupt, and they are not acting on behalf of,
2: of the American people right on Casey. Damn
5: straight. That's and number speaking of
2: uh, the the oath keep, yeah speaking of the Oath keepers folks uh just a little program note. Is that uh, some time ago we interviewed Stuart Rhodes, who is the founder of the Oath Keepers, and, and you would like to hear that show? Uh, just go through our archives and our podcasts uh, to hear that episode where we interviewed Mr. Rhodes there and had him uh, on the show. And so I just wanted uh, to
3: can I also Can I also mention, Bob, that? Uh, one of our former guests, also from this uh, past fall, was uh, Charlie Strange, who's the father of Michael Strange, leader of SEAL Team Six, um, Extortion Seventeen. Go ahead and Google it, folks. If you're not already aware, we are going to get a congressional investigation. But I was—I uh, had the honor about a week and a half ago of introducing uh, Charlie and Marianne Strange to a very, very large group at the Berks County Patriots here. In, it was in Central Pennsylvania, uh, and. Uh, Our honor guard to lead everything off uh, was uh, the local division of the Oath Keepers, who are all former or current military law enforcement or other officers who have taken that oath uh, to support, uphold, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Um, Many of us have. I've taken that myself, and uh, it has no expiration date. If you don't publicly repudiate it, you're held to it and the people who take that oath in our federal government and in the state and local authorities and who don't follow it have committed um, not only, well, it's possible it's treason, it's certainly a crime, but I consider it to be um, fraud because they're taking material benefits. They're getting a salary, if nothing else. Maybe they're getting corrupt uh, payoffs, too, but they're taking something. They're getting something under false pretenses. If you take that oath, you better mean it, and if you mean it, You better keep it
4: Amen And at
2: this time uh, folks uh, Just a little um, Another program note is I do see some folks out there Like uh, if you'd like to chime in Just push the one on your number dial And also if you'd like to call in And uh, speak to anyone here Become part of our roundtable discussion Give us a call at 347-945-7428 There's still plenty of time Uh, to be a part of the show. And for those who are new here, such as Dinah, uh, we will keep your mic open because what we like to do here is do what we call our roundtable discussion, which, you know, we'll like to bring it back to each folks with the folks here on the line uh, to try to give them as as much time as we can uh, to speak, not only just the initial uh, part of the conversation with them calling into the line, uh, but we do like to be able to keep you on, on, unlike a lot of talk shows where you get your, Your ten minutes, and then it's off the line. Uh, We do keep your line open so that later on, if you have any other comments or questions to ask anyone on the panel or of our guests, uh, you're welcome to do so. So uh, please stay on the line, Dinah, and uh, we will bring uh, it back to you at some point uh, during the show, I promise, uh, when we bring it back around. Uh, But first, I do want to bring in Mayor Donnie Brock from Quinlan, Texas. Thank you very much, Mayor, for calling to the show. How are you tonight?
0: Hey, hey, it's a good night, brother. How are y'all doing?
2: Uh doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing just fine. Uh, I see you've got uh Habitat Humanity. Habitat for Humanities Man of the Year on the line, one of my personal heroes, Mr. Casey Massey. How are you doing tonight, brother?
4: Hey Donnie, thanks for calling in, man. It's uh
0: it's uh about time somebody raised a little cane around here. I, did, I that didn't catch the first of the show. We've been talking. discussing the uh, documentation that we finally got unsealed from the
2: courthouse in Brownsville. Yeah, I've seen an article on that.
1: Uh, yeah, I've seen I'm an
2: article on that. That uh, you you got newly real, you got newly elected, and you're already uh, having some issues there. Where some documents are missing. Oh no, no, not my documents. I took care of that, brother. No, not yours, but I mean uh, just documents from the offices. Sure. Well, it's it's
0: it's what the it's what the bad do. You know, if you see a guy walking out of a bank and he's slowly walking, counting his money, and then ten seconds later you see a guy burst out of the bank doors with a ski mask on, dive through the window of a car that's waiting on him, which one's the bank robber? These people, these people in my city fled like rats. That's what they are. They're rats.
3: It was, Could you explain it was, uh, a little bit about what was going on, and, and what, where are you at? What's your city, sir?
0: I'm in Quillen, Texas. It's a it's a town in northeast Texas. Uh, Mr. Massey's actually a community member that lives just outside our city but lives in our county. And uh, when I took over office, my promise was this. Hey, the dope, the drugs, all this governmental underhanded, it's it's done. You're done. You need to flee me. And flee me they did. The day that
6: I was actually uh, took
1: over as mayor, the
0: entire administrative staff from our entire city, from the city consultant all the way down to the lowest little filing girl, they were evicted. Um, I guess they evicted themselves, more or less. Uh, there
4: was not a single person in city hall the morning that I arrived to take over office.
3: That's awesome.
4: Donnie and I Six- fought, fought for years to try to end the corruption in the city. Um Donnie is now the mayor, but we, we fought for years to end the corruption that was going on in our city. Uh, and I call Quinlan my city. That's It's my mailing address is Quinlan, Texas. Even though I live outside of the incorporated city limits, uh, my business is a Quinlan address, and I do a lot of business in Quinlan. I'm a electrical contractor. And Donnie and I have been friends for a long time, and we got together and we ousted the corruption of Quinlan. And Donnie has done a, an awesome job of bringing all the ugly to the light, and he's turned the city around and shown people that, <laughs> the city doesn't have to be corrupt to be successful. And he's been very successful, in bringing the the city into a, a new era, a new age of legitimacy. And so I'm very proud to call Donnie my friend, and I'm very proud of what he's done for the city. Um, I'd like to suggest
3: something, which is that uh, even though Donnie is a leader and Casey is a leader, some of us are considered leaders. They call us these names. I don't know if that's – I like that name. um, But it's not going to happen in Quinlan, Texas, or in my township or anywhere else. All these places, we're fighting – Look at the news, not the crap that the mainstream media tries to foist upon you, but look at what's actually going on. Across this country, there's a grass fire building. Here at home where I'm at, down in Texas where they're at, we're fighting. You get a leader who stands up on their hind legs, and the political corrupt regime laughs at them. And then they try and freeze them out. And then they look for any kind of dirt or any kind of things that they can they can hold over them or push against them. Then they try and threaten them. And then provided that leader or those leaders have enough followers, people who are willing to help, who are willing to pack those meetings, who are willing to get out there and and spread the word and get people registered to vote and educate them about what the issues are and what where they're supposed to vote, how they're supposed to vote, and then helps them get to the polls. We won in my township to oust one of three bad dudes. We still have some work to do, and we're still working at it. But we won by one vote. How close was your election down there in Quinlan, Donnie? It
1: was about uh, it was about thirteen
0: votes. Wow, that's how a, close it a, is, friends. We
3: and we can president. do it. Yeah, we a you want to change? Me. Well,
0: yeah, well, you on, want
3: to change ahead, Washington D.C. Yeah, if you want to change Washington D.C., Donnie.
2: Donnie was breaking up oh, a little bit, Dan, I'm going to be able to get him in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. We can. Okay, oh, yeah, I apologize, time hearing Donnie, I hate to say that, but um, go ahead, Donnie. Yeah, it was it was
0: absolutely a stacked vote. I mean, we had a we had a a businessman, or you know, our city consultant was just rotten to the core. You know, you had you had no ability to contact him. You had no ability to even lodge a complaint about something that you know we may have had ten laws against. After after getting these people out, you know, beating, beating their you know their stand up gal. Uh, started doing things my way. Let's let's review all of our city ordinances. Well, Lincoln Publishing has had them for nine months, and basically what we got back was a streamlined version of everything that's that's coate with state law. And you know, we threw away 37 percent of my city ordinances because we had some that were 180 degrees reflective of each other and basically what we found out was that our city administration would pull you know the wall from the front of the book that said oh your left foot's over the fence if that suited their needs And the back of the book in a whole other section would be oh no 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 the right leg's over the fence we'll use that one if we need depending on who had the complaint and what the original objection was we had a city council that would listen to you speak for your three minutes while they knitted or drew in a book or pick their nose. It was it was a it was a complete and utter waste of time. They had no intention of listening to me or anybody else and you know my my involvement with them for the last three or four years has never been on my behalf. They feared me from day one. They avoided me at all costs. I was standing up for others in this town who didn't have the education I had, who didn't have the family name that goes back to the late seventeen hundreds in this place. It was just at a point where I got sick of watching them railroaded. The less fortunate, the less educated, and really not able to fend for themselves. That's kind of where I got to where I am today.
3: You're a shepherd. It was never,
0: it was never really anything about me myself. It was about when are you going to get tired of them kicking your neighbor? Wrong
3: is wrong. Well, that's really the, time. the key.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. The
3: people who are in charge. Right now, they're in it for themselves and their crony pals, and they don't mm-hmm. want to share. That's why they're mad at KC not and the Oath Keepers, and they're mad at you, not because what you're doing is wrong, but because you're stepping on their toes. You've got something over the fence, and they like it all on their side. Um, but you couldn't have won, even with the name and the money and the education and the drive and the talent and all the rest You couldn't have won without all kinds of people starting to wake up and realize that the power truly belongs to the people and not these elite cronies who put themselves in and make sure that everything is in their favor. We can take this back, folks, so easy on a local level. If you want to go after D.C., you better have $100 million if you want to run for Senate, and that may not be enough. And you better have a big name recognition, but if you want to go uh, to try and be a mayor or a person or a lectman or whatever you call them in your little town, you can do it. Because guess what? You already know a sizable chunk of the electorate. If you want to go for school boards, you know these people. You can get to know these people if you have a group of 10 or 12 committed inside people. And you have uh, an extended group of 40 to 60 people. And those people all have a casual group of, say, a couple of hundred people. You can spend only a few hundred dollars on election signs and election materials, on phone banks and things like that. And you can actually win. And when you've won, you've got a position of power to start fighting back. The only way we're going to take Washington back is if we take every little town and Hamlet back. Because... We're not going to be able to fight in the big leagues unless we get people geared up for that. Now, Donnie wants to be the mayor, and he's now mayor of a town called Quinlan, and that's a really good thing. Um, Donnie, I I don't even know you, but I I trust your reputation. I've been looking at some of the stuff I found online already. Uh, We need somebody like you at a higher-up level as well. And Where do you think those people come from, folks? We have folks right now who are just newly elected to office, and they're learning the ropes and how politics works, and they're gaining a reputation, and they're teaching people how to do it and why it needs to get done. And once they've done a little bit and we can see what they're about, we need to move them up. We need to push them up into the next level. So it's going to be county, and then it's going to be state. And once you've got in state, you're going to see that there's going to be statesmen and women who emerged from this this large group. We are more numerous than the founders were at the time of the founding of this rev- revolution in 1776, this country, and we've got more talented people. I'm not putting down the founders, but there were so few of them, look what they accomplished. Think what we could do with 3% of this population. That's what they they say, 3% is what it takes. We have at least 9 million people in this country. And if we're committed and stand up on our hind legs and we work together, we can take this country back so easily. Just look at the last election and the results. Let's do it a few more times and see what we get.
2: And speaking of uh, other folks, uh, part of that small percentage uh, that can make a difference. Let's go ahead and bring in our next caller, and that is Fred. Thank you very much uh, for calling to the show. Fred, uh, where are you calling from, and thanks, how you doing?
6: Oh, I'm doing quite well. Uh, I'm calling from Iowa. Uh, Casey, it's pr- I'm very, extremely proud to call you my brother. Uh, you know, g- Kudos on what you've done down there, man, and, and that's what we need. We need a lot more people involved in this. Um, and the, uh, the fellow that's cleaning up his city and stuff like that by getting political politically involved is something that everyone needs to do, you know, and I I'm I'm proud to hear the story because uh I tell you fellas that I'm about to give up all faith uh of anyone ever really doing anything. Um and as you guys said um uh, Casey the, the government's corrupt at every level, you know. Um so there's a lot of things going on that um uh, you know that if it ain't on a football commercial, people don't get it. They don't understand it. If it ain't on the Kardashians, they ain't listening. Um, <laughs> you know, it just, it, you know, it behooves, it, be, it would behoove people to take a know what kind of decisions these people are making that affect their lives. That's, that's what I don't get, you know. Um, and it's unfortunate that Casey's in the predicament that he's in to have gone down, and done a job that we pay our government to do. That is their number one job, number one, to secure the borders and protect the safety of our citizens. Am I incorrect in this statement? No. Nope. not at all. We <clears throat> pay for that.
1: Yeah, long. you yeah. know,
6: you know, and that's the thing, you know, and you know these people want to, you know, compare apples to oranges uh, as far as Republicans and Democrats. I got news for them; they're the, they're the same animal. Ain't neither one of them no different. They're going to get up there and give you the same, you know, a different song and dance, but they've got the same agenda in mind. And and that's the thing <clears throat> you talked about starting to change things at a, a local town, city, and so forth and so on. The thing is, we really got it. Once we get them in there, we still got to monitor and keep a close eye on them as well. Uh, Absolutely. I, I used to be a, a huge supporter of Ann Coulter when she first got started. You know, uh, she was very well-rounded and uh, had a lot of good
3: intentions.
6: Mm-hmm. But where she's at today, that ain't the same person I used to support, I'll tell you that. You know, yeah, uh, she fan been there
3: any
2: longer
6: myself. No.
3: She got used <laughs> sure to the money I. and the attention and the power. And that, that it's not uncommon yeah, that you see ahead. somebody, as, as I said before, who is corrupted and, and we have to guard against that, even among the, <laughs> our own ranks. But it's it's also possible that people can be redeemed. There have been a few politicians out there, not that many. We need more politicians, religious leaders, people in entertainment who used to tread the wrong path, who saw the light, so to speak. I'm not trying to get too religious here, and that made I'm, you know, a spiritual guy, and some people aren't. But uh, what, what matters to me, since I can't really know somebody's, in you know, intentions, I can't know their their character. All I can know is their actions. If they do the right thing by us, then I'm with them. My litmus test is real simple. You're either for the Constitution or you're not for the Constitution. If you're not, I won't have anything to do with you. If you are, even if your focus is a little different than mine or very different than mine, I'll work with you.
6: Absolutely, you know, and and it's... Yeah, you know, that uh, analogy you used right there. Didn't Bush use that on the uh, New World Order either? Either with us or against us. Well,
3: know? he's got a point. Uh, got to choose well, a side.
6: Absolutely, everyone's got to have a, li- a line in the sand, and you got to choose where to stand. You know, as the old country song says, "You got to stand for something, or you'll fall for anything."
1: Um,
6: oh. At <laughs> <laughs> the same time, lost. <laughs> <Like, you
1: know. laughs> <laughs>
6: well, I mean, it's just. And here's the thing a lot of people aren't grasping and uh I'm trying to think of a word to use here, but uh we'll just say that the uh that the the whore states have sold themselves into basically a slavery of uh this federal money or is this uh the uh famous uh whack man like to say this boatload of federal money you know, Alex Jones. Uh, they, they, what they do is they try to get things passed. Well, anytime a state stands that no, we're not going for that. Okay, hey, no problem. You just ain't gonna receive any uh, federal road and bridge money this year. Uh, you're not going to receive any school tax breaks or, you know, any fe- uh, special funding. You know, it. it you know, I, I'm no rocket scientist, guys. I, I, I come from a meager education, honestly. But I have the common sense enough to study and and read and research. I don't sit around watching football. It's never been an interest of mine. Politics used to never be an interest of mine, and people tell me nowadays that I'm obsessed obsessed with it. Um, I'm more obsessed with the Constitution and the people's rights and and the loss and the robberies of them. And that is a key important thing. Uh, You guys talked about why they're bringing these uh, immigrants, why they're allowing them. This is just my take on it. Now, you know, I'm coconut in a a wagon of apples here. But uh, what I see happening is them flooding this nation with people that have no idea of the basis of the foundation of this nation being created, nor the fundamental actions of it or the reactions of it. So if you have a people that are dumb, there's a lot of them out there, boys, let's
5: face it. Uh, Yeah. I tried to bring that out before. You asked about why, where does the federal government benefit from this going on, from bringing in all these people, and Mm -hmm. I got cut short on it. But what you're talking about goes right in line with their Agenda 21, the UN's whole control of this. That's where that federal money comes from. If they go along with Mm -hmm. Mm the amendment 21,
2: yeah, that comes from the U.N. Go ahead, Dinah.
5: Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> you know, y'all know I'm sure about the straw man and how when you're born, they create a federal bond in your name and they use that to trade you and futures and that kind of thing. Absolutely. You pay the national debt. Y'all are aware of that, Right. Yes, call it Casey can come to tell radio. you about how they do it to prisoners
4: too. KT, go ahead and explain that to them. Well, like he just said, it's the CUSIP number, and that's one thing that the federal government's doing is they're taking and trading us as chattel through the stock exchange to be able to continue to spend trillions of dollars that we don't have from the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is allowing them to use us as chattel to collateralize loans. Well,
5: exactly that. And you all know right now it's coming up to the time when the Continuing Appropriations Act is about to end. That's why he tried to have them all blanketed in as being refugees so he could quick get them citizenship papers. That's why they considered doing an amnesty with the country's delegates because they knew better than to continue on with it. Because then they could get papers to these people. Same thing. When citizenship is granted, you're now child. You can pay more money into the system in the terms of your income taxes to help pay off the national debt. They can borrow against mm-hmm. that. So this is well, why they thing. to do that.
6: There's another thing, Dana, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but this is something that no. it just irritates the ever-living woo-wah, I me to hear people.
2: Exactly.
6: This is a family <laughs> show. Go ahead. Yeah yeah I, I, got exactly. I got a better word I got a better word for that.
1: that? Well you <laughs> just We're said not quite that's quite that's the Federal Reserve. Yeah.
6: <laughs> well, you know, the whole thing on the tax issue. Unless you're a corporation, there is no income tax. There is no law that says you must pay a tax on your labor.
5: Well there not. you go. You should be joining the citizens' tax revolt twenty fourteen then. Uh, I, I, stopped, I stopped paying them about 10
6: years ago. I, I take in any time I do my uh, my uh, W-2s at work, I file 550 on theirs. They take out uh, Social Security and uh, Medicaid, um, you know, which I don't really have a huge issue with that. But, you know, this funding of all these ridiculous wars and having to go over here to do this, have to do that, it's ludicrous. It's, a, you know, it's insanity.
3: Well, that's um, like folks, I, I want to, if you don't pay. mind, uh, me. Me. I'd me. like to mention just one thing. Uh, when we start talking about what's really, really going on, some people get lost because they go, wow, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. But more people these days are going, well, it could be true. Look at all the other stuff that's come out. And so they, they start to educate themselves and they go, Wow. That's true. Look at that. Look at what the Fed, Federal Reserve is doing. Look at what the Agenda 21 is doing. But what I'm, I try to focus on, since we all see the same strategy of our strategic goal, far horizon, what we want to get to, we want to get to uh, a, a place where the United States government and state governments are lean and mean and efficient and do only what they're supposed to do and not one damn thing more, and they do that really, really well. And that's what we want. We want national defense. We want the government to do proper things properly. How do we get there? Absolutely. We get there with tactics. And tactically, there is a way to get these things done. Uh, right now, there's a movement uh, going uh, that's afoot. Uh, if we can block that omnibus Boehner spending bill, with all the billions and billions—actually, it's a 1. Point something, 1.3 trillion dollars, I think—that funds yeah. the government through next November, yep. and is full of pork and crap and all kinds of crony deals and anti-constitutional programs, there is a solution because January 20th is the last day of this particular contest. January twenty first, yeah. a whole new crop gets sworn in, and even though there's some rhinos in there, and there's some Democrats who are not, you know, haven't woken up yet, and they're still just as crony uh, capitalists as the, any any of the rest of them. The elitists, they're not progressives, they're a- aristocrats. Uh, there are a sizable number, a larger number coming in than we've ever had in this country for for generations of true constitutionalists, and the tactic is simple. Don't defund. Don't try and negotiate uh, a bill that's thousands of pages long and filled with references that are so obscure and arcane that nobody can possibly fathom and keep track of them. What you do is you pass bills. Pass and send to the Senate, which will pass and send to the President, simple bills, three standalone spending bills a day. We take the stuff that 85, 90% of us agree on, even if we don't necessarily agree on. Strategically, you know, down the road, I don't want to see food stamps the way they are. But right now, with no jobs, I don't want to start to see people starving. And yeah, well, here's
1: another
3: okay. thing. Well, hold on. Let me just finish real quick. Well, hold on. Um,
2: Go ahead. Go ahead, finish yeah, I'll, Dan. I'll and then finish we'll bring it in, up. and then I'd like to bring it back to uh, uh, to Mayor Brock as well. Go ahead, Dan.
3: Okay. So there are things like national parks or libraries which. Can we afford it? That's debatable, but they're good things that most people would say. That's fine. We like that. Let's keep them open. Keep the national monuments open, things like that. Funding the VA, nobody has a problem with that. Funding military salaries, uh, et cetera. What you do is you simply pass one bill. Cut the government up, that 85-90% of what we agree on, into 300 parts, and for the first 100 days, that magic time period, the Congress and the new Congress and the new Senate send three bills a day to Obama's desk. And it has nothing to do, no mention of any of his Dream Act BS or any of the rest of his Agenda 21 crap. You simply send a bill that says, we'll feed the people through food stamps. Let him veto it. Go ahead. We'll send him a bill saying... Um, We're going to fund, at the same levels as we did last year, the national parks and monuments. Let him veto that. Send him a bill saying, we're going to pay the military salaries because they're doing a a job for us and risking themselves, putting a blank check with their name on it on the line for us. Who's going to object to that? Let him veto that. And then come Three months into it, we've passed most of what we need in the federal government, and the rest can be debated for the next couple of years up through the presidential campaign, and maybe nothing ever gets passed. Who cares? That's my thought. Uh, I apologize for monopolizing. Bob, uh, turn it over to. to uh, I think it was Donnie who said is next.
2: Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to Donnie or Mayor Rock, and then I'd see Kelly and Cindy on the line. So. If or two other panelists. If you'd uh, like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial. Let me know you're ready to come in. Uh, but first, while we're waiting for Kelly and Cindy, go ahead, uh, Mayor Brock.
3: You're absolutely correct.
0: You know, I was a, I was a freshman mayor. I'd never been to a professional business meeting before. Let me tell you what what you just said is you are, you're on fire, brother. It is, it is a knock, and I've spoken to both of well to my state senators, my congressmen, I mean I whittle on them constantly about this because I got really good at it really quick. The deal
1: is is to put the legislation in front of the legislators
0: that they cannot
1: refuse
0: because if they do,
1: they take away all their
0: credibility. I had council members wanting to bring their own legislation to the meetings. What what are you talking about? You can't put you want to put it on uh, the table and you want to vote on it next. What are you
2: thinking? Uh, That's uh excuse me, I'm I'm sorry, this. uh I'm sorry, Mr. Brock. Uh, well, I'm, we're having a, I'm having a really hard time uh hearing you. I don't know if it's just it's not closest to your phone or what have you. Um, but I'm having a really better? hard time hearing you. I better? think so, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Yeah so you're absolutely correct. It it is a Thank very you.
0: it is a very skilled trick to hold a meeting of this caliber and to get your agenda correct and to get your legislation correct. If you break it down to the minus, minuscule scale. You allow them to vote on the items that are worthy if you don't if you don't accept this proposal, you basically look like you look like you're against us. I took the same amount of money that my co that I had to drive out of here had made for the last four or five years as a budget total. I accomplished everything I said I would accomplish in the first year. I put a million dollars towards a city park. I still came in four hundred thousand dollars under budget after bringing everybody's salaries up to a modern-day salary. Amen. You know, after after all the issues and everything else, we've had the people that do the work for us that are making less than the people that work at Walmart. We've, we have first responders. You know, they're making eight dollars, nine dollars, nine fifty an hour. It, it is irrefutable for these people that can you know continue is to walk arms together, sing Kumbaya. And ignore the facts that are happening around us. And it is. You're absolutely correct, Gary. It is a talent to put this stuff together so that you can't overlook the basis of the, the bill itself. You cut out all the fat. You cut out all this, this buddy, cousin, uncle bullshit. Cut it right out at the top. Streamline your Streamline your bills. Streamline your legislation down to you either vote for this because it's the right thing to do or – you know, if, you, if you've if you cut all the meat away and you just have a big steak, the fat's on another plate. It'll still look like fat in six months when they try to cram it through. Right now, the <laughs> needs are what the needs are. And, and everything that comes, you know, from the federal government has got so much cancer attached to it and so much, uh, you know, m- mid-bill, mid-bill hiding, I'll call it. It's, it's not – you don't want to read 287 pages – and even if you did, you would be so worried by page 60 of the redundancy of some of the crap that I've seen in the last year that it it, it loses – what little bit of good is there is lost in the shuffle of, well, we'll fund this, we'll give this, we'll lobby for this, we'll do this, just, just to get the votes on the table. The legislation should speak for itself. If it doesn't, it's rabble to begin with. So, gentlemen, hang on a second. My bat phone is going off. I have to cut you short and bail on you.
1: <laughs> I'm,
0: not, I'm not the kind of mayor that does. i not the kind of mayor that doesn't get up out of his clothes on if there's a situation that arises. I've got my PD calling in right this minute. Hey, keep doing what you're He's doing,
1: gentlemen.
0: Mr. Massey, I've got to go straighten out a situation here that undoubtedly they're not able to take care of. Dan, I'll be with you in just one second. Uh
2: have a good so evening. To, do, certainly, thank you for, what you're doing. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on. I do, I do have uh, the number. Uh, the number here, uh, Mayor Brock, and what I'd like to do is uh, invite you back on the show, and where you could be our guest for the evening, if that would be something sure. you'd be interested in.
0: Yeah, do me a favor. Can you kick me over? Actually, just get my cell phone number from KC.
2: Okay. I actually that.
0: grab my son's. I've grabbed my son's phone, so I had my other one open in case I got a call. i get a text while We have a. We actually have a domestic disturbance down the street from my house. Uh, I'm going to go
2: has uh, got my email. He can uh, email me the number. Certainly. Thank you. Absolutely. You guys, have a
0: great evening. Have a good day. Thank you very
2: much uh, for calling uh, into the show. And folks, that was. He has to take uh, care of business as. uh Good mayors do. And that was uh, Mayor Donnie Brock, and he is from Quinlan, Texas, Q-U-I-N-L-A-N, Texas. So it's great to have him on to the show. Um, Just for a little program note for those who are listening to the show and are here for the first time, is that we are getting ready to go into what's called the extended period of the show. Uh, The first two hours are live in which uh, you will be able to hear even if you're not called in at 347-945-7428. Uh, but, however, if you are not called in to the number, uh, you will not be able to hear the extended period. However, uh, the show will be available on the podcast shortly after the broadcast at 1 a.m. Eastern time, so you'll be able to listen to the remainder of the show at uh, and Of course, uh, the same link, Uh, that you came to the show if you're listening that way. It's the same you can hear the podcast, and, of course, it's also the same link that you could share with uh, folks so they can listen to the show as well. So definitely share that link there. If you'd like to uh, listen to or be a part of the extended period, which we go on for about another hour or so, give us a call at 347 Nine four five seven four two eight, and for those who are on the line, if you'd like to chime in, uh, we still have some time here. uh, just push the one on your number dial, and we will get you into the show. So let's go ahead and uh bring it back to Fred. See if there's any uh comments you'd like to make, uh Fred, and then we'll go over to uh Dan and then of course, our guest k c and Donnie if you'd like to chime in as well, well. Uh, I would like to bring you in, too. Go ahead, uh, Fred. Fred. Yeah,
6: yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me?
2: Yes, we
6: can no. hear
2: you. Okay. All
6: right. Yeah, one of the things that uh, you guys hit on with the, the welfare and stuff like that, that's something uh, <laughs> we better start really paying close attention to with uh, this new deal that we just pulled off on Saudi Arabia and uh, burning a bridge within people because they just probably have <clears> cut our The head off of the dollar with, with what they've done And I'm not talking about just our U.S. dollar But what's known as the petrodollar Okay um, Now you got everybody dumping our dollar We're talking about China, Russia, the BRIC uh, Japan um, And now Saudi Arabia Because while well, Obama told them to go town sand pretty much um, he, wa- that he wasn't going to honor the agreement Made with them And uh, so what's happening is the, the the petrodollar really started to take in and, and really taking a real hard nosedive. Well the thing is is there's someone in Belgium, nobody knows who they are that's buying buying the uh buying and pushing up the petrodollar. The the suspicion is that it's the feds. Nobody knows for sure, that's just pure speculation. But this war that is coming if something isn't done real quick, real fast, in a hurry, and that's going to be with China and Russia. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, as as anyone that pays attention to to, uh, military uh, technology and stuff like that, we have fallen way behind the eight ball. Um, Russia has got some stuff out now that we can't even halfway even keep up with. Um, They keep pushing this whole deal about Crimea, and you know, naturally, we got to have the boogeyman, the the ISIS characters. Um, so the the whole thing is just it just stinks of distractions, you know. And um, you know the, the it's just a it's a, it's a never ending cycle. As soon as you, I call it a rope a dope. As soon as you watch this here so long and you start losing interest in it and start falling back on what you really should be paying attention, they all of a sudden, they give you something else to watch. Um, hmm You know, and it, it's – the the mayor down there, that's the way a mayor is supposed to be. And I, I'm i proud to uh, have actually listened to this man. It uh, really does my heart good to hear people like that, um, you know, to be able to go in there and, and make a difference and do it, you know – in such an expedient manner, that's that's just almost mind-boggling these days. Um, you know, but the thing is, is a lot of these guys get in there and they want to take and keep milking the cow. You know, well, if we don't spend it all, we won't get as much next year. You know, uh, they'll cut us, you know, mm-hmm. cut us back um, and et cetera. There was a school that I went to years ago uh, in California, and it was called the Center for Employment Training. And uh, Dan Quayle was one of the founders that helped push that. And what it did was it basically uh, give young people with really no job skill a job skill. Um, and it, you would get Pell grants to go through it and stuff like that. Well, they had they had to have a certain amount of people as well to take in you know, to keep their their uh, income up to where they could fund enough students to keep the pay of the uh, employees, the teachers and such, to adequate amount of enough to uh, actually keep, you know, educators. But um, the more we keep watching this dollar, um, I watched uh, some uh, economists the other night, and he was saying that we're actually getting about one penny of profit off of our dollar, to, as opposed to on on our debt, um, where it used to be a lot higher as far as a return, Um, that I'm not, you know, any kind of financial guru or anything like that. But what he said just made a heck of a lot of sense. And he went back as far as the Reagan days and showing where we're at. He's predicting we're going to wind up hitting what he's calling a 25-year depression. the reason why I hit on the the welfare incident, the thing about the 30s and why they call it the Great Depression is beyond me because as far as I could see there was nothing great about it. But um, people back then were a lot like myself, and I imagine KC grew up a lot like I did. We raised our own cows. We raised our own gardens and stuff like this, hogs we slaughtered and et cetera, being self-sufficient. Ninety percent of the people back then was self-sufficient, okay? Nobody's self-sufficient today, you know? Um, look at the price of beef after the big cattle kill that just happened in South Dakota, you know, beef is up six hundred percent. Um, my wife went to go buy two little five pound bag, uh rolls of uh hamburger meat, ground beef the other day, fifteen bucks. Fifteen dollars for two five pound for ten pounds of hamburger meat. And we're not talking about anything that's like eighty percent lean or anything. We're just talking about your Well, that's part of the uh,
3: inflation that doesn't exist because they don't count food uh, or energy prices in the inflationary uh, index. Oh, absolutely. There's actually a simple solution to this stuff. Again, we're not getting into the weeds. This is all important stuff, but people want to know what can we do. Um, For military technology, you're right, but there's an important distinction. Russia and China are not heads and shoulders above us, but they're keeping pace with us. And the reason is because they're stealing our technology. It's, we still have the edge on developing these systems. Uh, the simple solution is don't let them steal it. Uh, we have terrible, terrible security, and because there's so much cronyism, they keep allowing. Look look at the, all the... Uh, Islamic uh, what's it? Muslim Brotherhood types who are in the White House now. Look at the, the for several generations, they're both Bushes and Clinton. And this Obama, they're, they're, well, no,
2: uh, someone's got some really bad uh, background noise going on there. We, and let's try to keep those down so we can keep the folks' mics open because I don't want to have to mute anyone's mics. But uh, if you're not on and you know there's some background noise uh, going on there, just uh, please mute your mic. Until you come back in so we don't have uh, any of that background noise, uh, you know, drowning it. out some of the, the talking here. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh sounds like they may have been taken care of, but go ahead, uh, Dan.
3: Well, anyway, so um, all these administrations, uh, since the original Bush, um, going all the way forward to today, have been allowing communist Chinese to take anything they want, basically. They, they're, they're stealth that they they, uh, start putting out there, the Russian atomic uh, technology they start putting out there, looks so much like ours. And the reason is because it's ours. So we simply stop (laughs) the spying. As far as the petrodollar, this is a big worry. But there's a really simple solution. What it requires is a big government solution that can't happen unless you have a small government solution first. Now, government doesn't create prosperity. What creates prosperity is individual entrepreneurs with a dream and drive who work really, really hard and have a good idea, and a lot of them fail, and the ones who succeed um, improve and they hire other people. So we remove the regulations that don't deal with fraud or um, you know criminal acts, you know things like that, environmental degradation that's real. We just take everything else off the books and we unleash the American entrepreneur. Now, all of a sudden, and it wouldn't take all that long, all this pent up talent and energy, you see it everywhere, people wanting to do something, uh, means businesses started. Within a, a sh- relatively short period of time, six months or a year, they're hiring people. And the more that those people have money to spend, the more it gets spent locally. So, first, you have to allow the American people to start with liberty, recreating prosperity. Now, once that starts to happen, we've got something juicing up our system, and that's where the big government solution comes in, and it's really, really, really easy. And you have to take away the authority from the Federal Reserve to do this and put it back in the Congress where it belongs according to the Constitution, but they set the value of the dollar. They can set it against gold. They can set it against silver. They can set it against paper. They can set it against anything they want to. That's their constitutional duty, obligation, and power. So, what you do is you create a two tiered currency, a currency dollar that's for internal use for American citizens, and a dollar that's for use for only paying off debt, not to American citizens or corporations, not to pension funds that happen to have invested in Treasury bills, but to any foreign entity. And what you do is you simply devalue that one, and they can scream and cry all they want. China's done it, Russia's done it, the EU's done it.